share family and we share the blessings of babies. And you look at them and they look like their parents. It's you know that remarkable way in which human beings have, it, in which everybody has, of reproducing themselves and having small versions. My sense is that when we live in community where we have people at the very old end of community and people at the baby end of community, and we keep just actually just acknowledging that. We don't even have to think about it. It imprints itself somehow on the neurons in a way that says, life is all right, you know? It's just the way it is. I remember saying to one of my teachers in a, in a, uh, in a sort of siege of melancholy that I had during a meditation retreat 20 or 30 years ago, I said, it's all so sad that everything passes. And he said, it's not sad, Sylvia. He says, it's just true. He said, you have editorialized on it that it's sad. It's poignant and it's touching. That, you know, if I look at myself as the elders, as the elder really in my whole family and generations below me, I never had that before and soon to be not on the stage, but I see who's going to be there, who's going to be there after me and after them and after them and after them. And on the walls of my, of, of my home, are photos of these babies' great-great-great-great-grandparents. You see that we just kind of pass it along in some miraculous way. You know, all the lineages, I think, of great religious traditions that hold up talk about the same thing. What are we going to do in this very short life other than take care of what came before us and after us and acknowledge that it's all very fleeting. And we have, I think, moment to moment, the possibility of uh, making a skillful or an unskillful choice. You know, if we come back to what Melissa said, uh, Melinda said about um, wanting the wrong things, you know, uh, could, we, could we hope for the wrong thing? You know, when we're talking about it's uplifting to hope for something. I remember last week we were talking, just at the end of our time together, we were talking about the story of Faust, which reproduces itself all through literature in different ways, of uh, an older person lamenting, I'm no longer young. And here comes uh, Mephistopheles, who, who gives him a bargain. Uh, if you sign on with me uh, for what comes after this life, I'll let you be young again and have whatever you want. He also presents him with um, uh, a spectacle. He actually has the vision of Marguerite uh, appear as a dream or as a vision. And I was thinking of it and, and thinking it was appropriate to bring up here because the same vision comes in the story of the Buddha that uh, on, the light, on the night of his own possible breakthrough to enlightenment where in fact he ends up saying, now I, I worked it out and I understand it and I can teach about it. He also, his mind is filled with the, the idea of the kinds of uh, pleasures of, of youth and vigor and vitality and physical pleasures, sensual pleasures that he could have. And, uh, and he turns them down. He says, I see your enemy. I see your troops, Mara, but I am not moved. Faust, on the other hand, says, okay, I see that vision, and I'll take it. And it's uh, one of those mo moments, I think, that you know the story, you know it's just a story, 
But in watching it, you think, don't do it, don't do it. Don't make that decision that's now being presented to you so alluringly. You could turn this down. You could say, no, no, thank you, you know, I, I did that part, now I'm up to the next part. But he not only takes on the devil with his proposition, but it causes the downfall of everything, it causes the death of Marguerite, the death of the child they conceived together. It's a terrible end. And I think that, that uh, it's not a unique story, that we have all the time the choice of, is this a skillful choice for myself and for all beings, or is it not a skillful choice? I went to uh, a birthday party of a friend of mine last night. There were half a dozen people there, and uh, one of the people staying at her house is a uh, is a Tibetan Lama who's uh, uh, been studying for some years. He's in his middle thirties. He's young, and as his birthday present for my friend, he said, "I'll make you a puja." And uh, I thought to myself, I'm very lucky. I got a call yesterday afternoon from my friend who said, I'm expecting you tonight for dinner. Would you mind if a llama made a long life puja uh, before dinner? So I thought to myself, where in the world can you get a phone call that somebody says, would you mind if a llama made a long life puja before dinner? I said, no, I wouldn't mind that. That'd be great. Uh, so, and, so, and it was great. A long life puja is about an hour long prayer ritual where uh, the people who were there were came to understand that the first third of it was invoking the presence of ancestors, teachers, and everyone who's ever taught you anything useful. And you bring them into the room with you. You imagine them. And there's some chanting that he does in, in Tibetan. And the second part of it is you reflect on what about your own character? What are the hindrances in your own mind? The enemies are not out there. See, the enemies are not the, 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 uh, the, um, um, the items that uh, are the seductions, but the enemies are the parts of us that respond to the seductions. Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you remember last week I brought that... Um, that, that magazine that had on the cover 100 restaurants that you need to know about right now. And you know, if you stop to think about why do you need to know about 100 restaurants right now, especially since they're all out in the United States, let alone California, you don't need to know about it. But I was very careful to, to confess that I had opened the magazine and looked in Barcelona because I'll be there in a month and you never know and maybe I want to go to that restaurant. And, it's, and as I'm doing it, I'm, I'm preparing that I'm going to be here the next day and say about the seductions. <laughs> at the same time, I'm being seduced. That the mind is very easily seduced into stuff like that, because it 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 really is is uh, at least I see about my own mind. It's maybe about again about being an easily cheered melancholic. I tend to be thinking um, about the passing of things rather than the starting of things. And my mind does cheer. Oh, that's interesting to do. That's another interesting thing to do. Look at the moon. It's three days old. That's really interesting. So I'm happy to be an easily cheered melancholic. It's better than being a not easily cheered melancholic, <laughs> which I have also friends like that. So, and I, it's nothing that I cultivated. I also I think that's that's actually good luck or not good luck. But it's it's for it's comfortable for me to know about that and say, well, this is my 
normal, uh, in the fall, I won't be saying it because now there's a lot of light, but in the fall it starts to get dark again and the days get shorter. And I start to have more melancholy thoughts about it's all ending. I say, well, wait a minute, Sylvia, you're just doing your melancholy thought machine has just revved up because it's fall. And then if you wait till the spring again, it'll be reading the seed catalog, so just wait. You know, but, but So you can live with it without changing it. Uh, so the end of the puja was you reflect on what is it in your own mind that is a hindrance to that. So I could think, well, I'm easily distracted. I could be easily cheered. I can also think I'm easily distracted. So should I think about that? What should I do about it? Um, uh, I thought about the things that still uh, irritate me because I want to know what I, what I feel about things, but I don't want my mind to get caught up in, Rrr. I don't like this, there it goes again, whatever it is. So this is, the, this is the last word, I hadn't planned to say this, but this is the last word in how ridiculous the mind can be. I listen to KDFC, well, I, I travel a lot in my car, and I listen to KDFC, which is the classical music station here in the Bay Area, you probably know about it. I like the music that they play on KDFC. They have, to my mind, terrible ads. I can't imagine that their advertisers make any money on those ads. <laughs> they're so trivializing, and do you, do you think that? I mean, those are, they're terrible. And so they start in with a stream of their ads, and my mind starts in, I could, I'm a member of Club KDFC, see? I could just write them a little email and tell them, you know, I'm a writer. I would like to volunteer my time to fix up your ads so that they probably be, they probably would be more beneficial for your advertisers because really they're condescending to your listening public. And I think to myself, what am I doing? I'm not going to write to KDFC. I'm not going to write their ads for nothing. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just spending a little time in my car being arrogant for no reason at all. And nobody knows about it. Nobody knew about it until I just inadvertently told you. But, but the kind of thing that the mind can get seduced into doing for some period of time. Now, while I'm doing that, I could have been blessing all the people on the highway, thanking them for not crashing into my car. I could have done a number of other more skillful things I could have done other than critiquing KDFC that I'm then listening to when they're giving away the free tickets so I can drive, call them and win the free tickets. You know, it's ridiculous. And I think about calling them to get the free tickets because I know the answer. And I realized that concert is in Santa Cruz on a day that I'm in France. So, I mean, it's, the, the whole thing is ridiculous. And again, that the mind gets caught up in something that it might possibly have because it's so smart. I think to myself, I have better things to do with my mind, but it's clearly not trained. So in this particular puja last night, it was very touching because it was about 20 minutes of listening to chanting in Tibetan, which is very hypnotic, and I, I found it very... Uh, energizing, it, the, the, the mandate is now think about what characteristics of mind you'd like to uh, really put out of your mind. And uh, there's actually um, a way in which you um, imagine yourself grasping those, those defilements of mind and pushing them out of your mind and giving them away. We actually, each of us had a uh, a, a bread bun, a very soft bread bun, a hamburger bun, actually. Hamburger bun is very soft bread. And the, the instruction is, there's this puja table, we're all prepared with candles and everything, hamburger buns in the middle. <laughs> so take a bun and take 
and with all the force that you would like to imagine, you could put those defilements out of your mind. Put the defilements into the hamburger bun. So you mash it up into a very small ball, and you put it on an offering dish. It's very sincere and very moving. And it's made, it's put outside as an offering for animals that will come by in the night and eat it, and you've gotten rid of it. I think there, there are, there's a, there's a ritual that Jews will recognize from Rosh Hashanah, where you also take what the defilements are in your mind and you throw them away into some body of running water. But the notion, transparochially, is that we could be, we could acknowledge the, the, the gratitude we have for our teachers and our forebears and our parents, call them in, say, all the, I need all the help I can get. With that help, what I want to do is take all the defilements of my mind, the habits that are no good for me, and cast them away from me. Would that it would be so easy as to throw them into, push them into bread and throw them out. But at least the idea that I'm doing it, and who knows, maybe that's why this morning I told you about my ongoing critique of KDFC, and maybe I'll stop doing it now. <laughs> the third part of the ceremony is then uh, you, uh, you, uh, feel, you give yourself a blessing for having made that um, intention and make a blessing that your intention to be finished with that and to develop to the best of your spiritual ability in this lifetime. It's called a long life puja. And um, the monk was very clear to point out that it didn't give you, uh, it wasn't meant to be taken literally as a, uh, a guarantee of uh, long years because he said, we have as many years as we have genetically and by fortune. It meant that the years that we had, that they should be imbued as fully as they could be with our intention to transform ourselves. The thing that we've been, th we've been thinking about um, in the last several weeks, and talking about it in Buddhism through all the lineages and in every other religious practice that, uh, that, that has endured, that we know about, is that the, there was a shift at the time of the Buddha. Remember I was reading to you from Karen Armstrong's book, Buddha, which turns out, to, which I really have been enjoying, which he's talking about the shift in the world consciousness about 500 years before the, the, uh, this uh, common era, uh, where the shift went from uh, other people who were in charge of making offerings, propitiating the gods, to the idea that what religion had to do with was it had to do with the transformation in ourselves that we do ourselves that no one does for us, the transformation of our own hearts. And the transformation is the transformation from uh, this is what I feel like having, this is what I am impulsively craving, and this is what I've decided I will have or will do. So the, the decision to uh, practice restraint in a certain way, practice discernment, practice restraint, there's a list in, uh, Tibet, in Tibetan Buddhism of six paramis, spiritually virtues, and in the Theravada lineage, which is what the mindfulness tradition comes out of, of ten paramis. Paramita means that which has been completed and that which is finished. And uh, the, they're, they're a list of uh, what you might call moral qualities, virtues, Generosity, uh, morality, uh, generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, 
truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, equanimity, and wisdom. Uh, all of them, nine of them, actually sound to me like things you could practice. You could get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to practice generosity in these and these ways. The things that you do in the world, honesty, the things you do in the world. You could say to yourself also the things we do internally, like tell ourselves the truth or allow ourselves to sit quietly so that the truth is revealed to us. The one, the, 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 um, the, the line that I wanted to read to you from, which maybe I won't be able to find and I'll feel badly about it. Well, I won't feel terrible about it. But, wait, 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 wait. Because it was, it was so exactly, wait, wait, wait. Impossible that I had this all planned. No, it's not impossible, clearly. Um, talking about this, the, the man who's the protagonist in this particular story, it's called Skylark, who keeps his life in, entirely orderly and has a, a plan for every moment of the day. He said he did that. Ah, and said he didn't read much in the way of novels. He said, as a, as a rule, he preferred stimulating, edifying books which elucidated some moral truth or the interconnections between otherwise meaningless or incomprehensible facts. Truths like hard work is always rewarded or evil never goes unpunished. Books that rock one in the lap of comforting illusion that no one suffers undeservedly in this world nor dies of stomach cancer without due cause. See, that line of, of he orders his life so carefully so that to keep himself in the comforting illusion that no one suffers undeservingly in this world nor dies of stomach cancer without due cause. Because, in fact, things happen all the time that we don't know about. And talking about this person's life so, so orderly, so cramped, the general feeling that I had as you read the whole book is it's a person whose life has become completely cramped in his attempt not to see what's true. Because as soon as you see what's true, you realize that people do die undeservingly and who knows of what causes. And having discovered that, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. At that point, you know, we are all mortal. We can take certain care of our health. We've been... We've been thinking for a couple of weeks about the, uh, Susan had that insight about the person who's walking around and a safe has just fallen off a building and is about to hit him and he's reading his report about the low blood pressure and the low cholesterol, which isn't going to do him any good when that safe <laughs> falls on him. And Susan had the, the insight that that, that, that particular um, image that the idea that, that uh, of, it's a safe that falls on him <laughs> is really uh, towards which end? Look at this. I brought, because everybody seemed to remember that image, I brought a poem called Picnic Lightning. Billy Collins. It is possible to be struck by a meteor 
or a single-engine plane while reading in a chair at home. Safes drop from rooftops and flatten the odd pedestrian, mostly within the panels of the comics, but still, we know it is possible, as well as the flash of summer lightning, the thermos toppling over, spilling out on the grass. And we know the message can be delivered from within. The heart, no valentine, decides to quit after lunch. The power shut off like a switch, or a tiny dark ship is unmoored into the flow of the body's rivers, the brain a monastery, defenseless on the shore. This is what I think about when I shovel compost into a wheelbarrow, when I fill the long flower boxes, then press into rows the limp roots of red impatience. The instant hand of death always ready to burst forth from the sleeve of his voluminous cloak. Then the soil is full of marvels, bits of leaf like, leaf like, bits of leaf like flakes off a fresco, red-brown pine needles, a beetle quick to burrow back under the loam. Then the wheelbarrow is a wilder blue, the clouds a brighter white. And all I hear is the rasp of the steel edge against a round stone and small plants singing with lifted faces and the click of the sundial as one hour sweeps into the next. So I remember, I did remember that because we all remember the, the image of the safe. You don't know when a clot is going to unloose itself, when this is going to happen, when that's going to happen. But in the moment that we do know that that could happen, any second, the wheelbarrow is a brighter blue, and the sky, the clouds are whiter white. I think it's actually the, the, the um, I think it's so clear that the, the deal is, uh, to the degree that we are prepared to know that moment to moment this is a gift and a surprise, to that, and that we don't know from one moment to the next. We say, I'll see you next week, we don't know. But to the degree that we know that we don't know, this day becomes extremely precious. And seeing anybody becomes extremely important. And being anywhere becomes extremely interesting and a blessing. Yeah. I've been living in um, a Muslim country for the last four years. And everyone says, inshallah. Yeah. And at first, it annoyed me when you try to make a plan with someone and they say, inshallah. Yeah. And it's like, commit, which you commit. Yeah. But over time, I've really come to embrace it as it really means, you know, it causes and conditions are right. That's right. So happens. So, and, and two, what you were saying earlier about, you know, the mind's negativity. I might go to someone in greeting and say, you know, good morning, and there's a ritualized greeting. And I would, they'd say, how are you? I said, I'm cold. And they'd say, alhamdulillah, like praise God. Yeah, yeah. And, um, or I don't feel so well. Alhamdulillah, yeah. it could be worse. Or yeah, yeah. it's cold and that means things are growing. So yeah. it, it has turned things completely upside down for me in terms of being more aware of what's happening and, you know, how... <laughs> How tenuous everything really is. <laughs> no, I'm, I, remind me of your name. My name's Evelyn. Evelyn. I think that uh, anybody recognizes that particular thing of how, of, of re, I think it's again transparochial because uh, I have friends who, when you say, How are you? they say, Praise God. You know, I still don't know how they are, but <laughs> however they are, you know, that, uh, but that's actually the answer to it. 
because it, especially if it were bad, praise God. It's a, it's a, it doesn't mean everything's going well with you. It means I'm managing and everybody's got stuff and you never know and it could be like this, but it'll soon be like that. And it's a, it's a, it's a rubric to remember that I, I'm not in charge, just as you said, I'm not in charge. And I do, re yeah. I'm so sorry about that. You know, I think about what you may not have heard, but what's your name? Margaret. Margaret was telling about she and her friend are kindergarten teachers, and an eight-year-old from their school died over this last weekend in, um, in an accident in a camping trip in Washington, D.C., or Washington somewhere. Washington State, she fell off a loft in a cabin and fractured her skull and died. You know, the, so this Billy, Billy Collins poem is not funny. You know, you read it and it's funny because of the safe falling and all of that. But, but uh, you know, when I was saying that as I sat this morning, I was thinking about all the people going for a camping weekend. Everybody goes on a camping weekend and people, people die. They die in boating accidents. They die in road accidents. Um, you know, I don't think it's about, um, for, my, for me, when I remember that, there's an edge. There's an edge between saying to all my family, don't go anywhere, stay home, watch television, have plenty of ball games on, and don't go anywhere. Uh, there's the edge between doing that, saying don't live your life because you could cross the street, you don't know, you know, and, and not knowing that it happens. The fact that I know that it happens, maybe, and maybe just because it's this weekend or whatever, that I know that it happens is an instant clearer of my mind out of antipathy. That any junk that I'm carrying around in my mind, this one offended me, this one said, the other one said, you know, so-and-so didn't answered my email, or this one offended me in one way or another. Any kind of a story of negativity of, that I've been using up some of my real estate of my mind to keep. It's, it's really like the stupidness falls out of my mind when I remember what's really true. The really true is we're all living on the razor's edge. 
And we don't know when we say, I'll see you next week if we will or not, you know? And each of us, it's not just you have to go to Spain, you can go to the supermarket, you know, you can go anywhere. And so I have to keep in mind that this moment is a gift. Don't mess it up. You know? I, I, one of my teachers who said to me once, it's your life, Sylvia, don't miss it. But I, I'm actually thinking I'm, I, I like to like escalate that a little bit. To, it's your life, Sylvia, don't mess it up. You know, How much time do I want to spend recriminating somebody for what they once did? Or having it in for somebody. Um, it's a great relief when you don't have it in for somebody. Um, when I, I, I think that the, um, that the ultimate secret, if there's a secret, of being able to bless is that the, the, the injunction would really be that we could bless everyone. Not as a rote blessing machine, uh, and not because we didn't know that there are some people that we really love and cherish because we know them and care about them, and other people uh, we actually don't esteem or don't think much of, or other people we don't know at all. But just in the awareness that everybody's life is equally precarious, and everybody who's elected to stay in it has elected to take a great risk. You know? I, I, I find it tremendously... Um, uplifting, bracing to have people come with young babies. And I think to myself, it's oh, such a hard world to have young babies into. The, you know, who knows what the century is going to play out in the end of the century. Planet's too hot, this is wrong with it, that's wrong with it. Used to be simpler. It's a tremendous act of courage to have, make new people and put them into this world. And, and we do it. And every week when we say the names of who we're thinking about, I think to myself, all of us have people that we're thinking about, worried about, care about, or ourselves as well. And it's still, we all got up in the morning and came here. It's a tremendous amount of courage. We got dressed, we came here, we organized, we're here. And we're not distracting ourselves, you know? It's, it's uh, well, I, you know, I hope it's not agonizing to be here, but. It's our one topic. <laughs> our one topic is that it's all precarious, and what are you going to do about that? Um, but that's actually what everybody wants to talk about. That's Mary Oliver's line. What will you do with this one wild and precious life? You know? And every, every moment of it, we're making that decision all over again. And from moment to moment, can I bless or will I be irritable? Can I pick a fight or can I bless? It was a uh, bumper sticker that I remember someone in Berkeley oh, a long time ago, early 1990s, because I remember the discussion. And this person was telling me about why I, I was explaining that mindfulness was about paying attention. And he said, uh, he pointed out to me that there was a bumper sticker that was in vogue in Berkeley. I, I guess because Berkeley was more avant-garde than any place else, who knows, that said, um, he said, he said, I'm not sure what's so good about paying attention. Uh, he said, uh, look at that bumper sticker that says, um, if you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. But I actually think the opposite. 
that uh, if you're paying attention, really not only to what's difficult and challenging going on, but also the heroism of how much we're left doing it, you know? And we still are all of us in the game and trying. And hoping that in this very lifetime we're going to transform that, that particular habit of mind that falls into self-serving into one that falls into serving because that's the best way to live. I'm often reminded of... Um, I'm not sure of the source of this. A Zen teacher, I think I know who it is, but... Lest it not be her, I won't name her. But anyway, I'm about to say something good. Who's, uh, who is said to have said as she was dying, thank you very much, I have no complaints. <laughs> and to have conditioned a mind that, that doesn't, you know, that says, praise God, you know, here I am, it happened. I'm very sorry about that child, though, and its parents. Do you remember the child's name? Ella. Ella Dixon. So maybe in our last minute we'll sit and think about Ella and her family and wish them well and support. And also wish that everybody that we know and think about and heard of drives carefully, sleeps comfortably, doesn't hurt themselves. You know, the ultimate prayer is going to be, may all beings everywhere be very, very well. Because that's about all there is to say. Let me just sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.